Chapter 9 of The Heart of Hyacinth by Anokra Watana It was late in December, the time of great snow. Komazawa was still in Sendai, and Hyacinth had been taken from the school. She was now twelve years of age, still undeveloped in body and childish in mind. Hyacinth, like most impressionable children, had quickly succumbed to the influence of the schoolteacher. In his hands he had yielded like plaster to the sculptor. Out of crude, almost wild, material had been developed what seemed on the surface an admirable example of a Japanese child. Komazawa, fresh from four years of training at an English school, an intimate association with English students and professors, now set about the task of undermining all that the sensei had taught Hyacinth. This was no light task. Hyacinth could not unlearn in a few months that which had practically become ingrained. Quite useless it was, therefore, for Komazawa to seek to turn the child's mind to a new and alien point of view, when, too, this viewpoint was, in a measure, an acquired thing with Koma himself. Yet he was patient and laboured unceasingly. No, the people in the West were not all savages and barbarians. Did they not look like the Reverend Blount? would inquire his small pupil. Yes, somewhat like him. Ah, then, they perhaps were not savages, but they certainly were monsters. No, they are very fine people. Aye, great. But only monsters and evil spirits have hair growing from the chin and awful blue-glass eyes, protested Hyacinth. Whereupon Comer quietly brought a small mirror from his room, held it before her face, and bade her look within. She stared curiously and somewhat timorously. What do you see? he inquired quietly. Little girl, she said in a faint voice. Yes, and what colour are her eyes? The eyes within the glass became enlarged with excitement. The lips parted. Hyacinth put her face close to the glass. They are blue also, she said, shrinking. Very well, then, you also have blue eyes, Hyacinth. Me? She stared up at him aghast. Certainly, is not the little girl in the glass you? No. Her dilated eyes strained at the glass, then looked behind it and about her. He could see no other little girl in the room. There was only that face in the shining glass, with its blue, shiny eyes. With spasmodic working of features she regarded it. This is you, certainly, repeated Comer, pointing to the reflection. An uncanny fear took possession of the little girl, knocking the glass from that of Comer. That's not me! No, that's lie! I am here! Here! That's not me! She burst into a passion of tears. Raising the glass, Comer put it aside. He sought his mother immediately and with concern and perplexity in his face, told her of the incident of the mirror. I sent was frightened, yes, actually afraid of the mirror. What can be the matter? That is only natural, said I, and I am much distressed that you have frightened her with the glass. But why should it affright her? Because she has never seen one before. Never seen a mirror before? No, it is only of late years that they have come to Sendai, my son. Why, the mirror is as old as the nation. Oh, son, but not for the general use. Until recent years, they were regarded as things of mystery, and were very precious and priceless. Yes. Yet as a child I had often seen my father's mirror. Her house contains one, does it not? True, but it is locked away in our secret panel. But why? I hesitated. It was perhaps a useless custom, my son. But in my younger days, maidens were not permitted to see their own faces. The mirror was for the married woman alone. Thus, a maiden was saved from being vain of her beauty. 
Homer frowned impatiently. A useless and foolish custom, truly. And now, here, in this enlightened times, you put it into practice with hyacinth. Why, you are prolonging the customs of the ancients here in this house, which should be an example of the new and enlightened age. Meekly, Ayoi bowed her head. You are honourably right, my son. Yet there was another reason why the mirror was kept from the sight of the little one. Yes? How could I blast the little one's life by letting her know of of a peculiar physical misfortunes. Physical misfortunes, what do you mean? Why, the hair, eyes, skin. How strange, how unnatural. Kama threw back his head and laughed with an angry note. Oh, my mother, you are growing backward. You are seeing all things from a narrowing point of view. Because Hyacinth is not like other Japanese children. She is not ugly. Why, the little one is beautiful, quite so in her own way. I appeared troubled. You did not consider my father ugly, did you? Ah, no. Well, but was he not fair of face? It is true, she admitted, then sighing, added. But I fear the little one would not agree with us in the matter. It might terrify her to see her own face, so different from that of her playmates. In heart and nature, she is all Japanese. Nay, her natural parts have had no opportunities. She, like you, has seen only one side of life and the world. Now... Is it not time to educate her real self? With an unconscious motion of distress, I wrung her hands. The task is beyond me, my son. How can I effect it? Alas, as you say, I am in the same condition, for am I not all Japanese? My lord is gone these many years. I cannot keep step with the passage of time. Yes, son, I slip backward into the old mode of life and thought. When you were by my side, you were the prop that kept me awake, alive. But you were gone so long. Now it seemed as if time would never end. Oh, my mother, he cried, I will never leave you again. It is I who am all wrong, wrong. I who am the renegade. But we will remain here together, and you, dear mother, will teach me all over again the precepts of my childhood. For these four years I have been studying, acquiring a new method of thought and life, yet I fell into it naturally. My father's blood was strong in me. Yet, dear mother, now I feel I have been wrong in leaving you and I will not return. Oh, son, she said with trembling lips, you are all English, all your father, and it is right. Do not speak of remaining here with us. A mother's eyes can see deep beyond the shallows into her child's soul. I know your restless heart cries for the other world. It is there indeed you belong, and you must return to this England and the college. But I shall not remain, he said, throwing his arm about her shoulder. No, I shall come back when I am through college, for you and Hyacinth. I, I did not speak. Her poor little hands trembled against his arms. Fluttering to the door came Hyacinth. The tear-stains were gone from her face. In her hand she carried the small English mirror. Evidently she had overcome her repugnance and fear of it, and now regarded it as some strange and active possession. I, I looked up at her son with questioning eyes. The little one's new education must commence at once, he said slowly. He went to the child and took the mirror from her hand and again held it before her face. This is the beginning, he said. Let her become acquainted with herself as she is. This will force a new trend of thought. Then to the child. Who is this within? he asked. It is I, she said simply. He had discovered the secret of the mirror, and somehow it had lost all terror for her. Nay, it held her with a strange delight and fascination. 
little one, said Komazawa, kneeling beside her. Look very often into the honourable mirror, every day. There you will see your own image. You will not be ignorant of yourself. You will learn much which the sensei cannot teach you. No, also go each day to the mission house. No, do not shake your head so, but every day you must go to the school class. Then very soon, maybe in three years, I will return and complete the teaching. Hyacinth looked timidly up into his earnest face a moment. Then she suddenly smiled and dimpled. Very well, she said, in English, in a tone whose note expressed as words, yet not her perplexed emotion. A smile overspread Coma's face. Ah, he said, with a glance back at his mother, the little one has not forgotten. Yet, said I, she has not spoken it, son, since you left Sendai five years ago. Chapter 10 the Reverend Mr. Blount knocked sharply at the door of Madame Oyai's house. There was no response at first to his summons, beyond a slight stir and bustle at the rear. After a pause, the sliding doors were pushed aside, and the fat face of Mume appeared for a moment to disappear the next. She was heard chattering, in a grumbling voice, to someone within. The visitor, grown impatient, rapped hard upon the panelling. A moment later, there was the light patter of feet along the hall, and I I appeared. She hastened toward the visitor, with an apologetic expression. Would the Honourable One pardon her great discourtesy? She had been taking her noonday siesta, and had not heard the visitor's knock. She would immediately reprove her insignificantly rude and ignorant servant for not having shown the illustrious one welcome and hospitality. I want to see Hyacinth, said the caller, entering the guest room, and slowly removing his kid gloves. Hyacinth, I, I informed her visitor, was also taking her noon sleep. Would the Honourable One deign to excuse her, or should she disturb the little one? Sleep, he repeated disapprovingly. How can that be, madam, since I only just saw her at the window? She must have awakened then, said I, simply. The other nodded curtly. No doubt, he said. He seated himself stiffly in the only chair in the room, when Oi had quietly seated herself on a mat some distance from him, he clasped his hands together and leaned forward towards her. Madam Oi, he said, I have just heard the most improbable, ridiculous tale about Hyacinth. Madam Oi elevated her eyes in gentle question. That she is, in fact, uh, engaged, that is, affianced, you know what I mean. Oi smiled beamingly. Yes, she admitted. Her daughter was indeed betrothed to Yamashiro Yoshida, son of our most illustrious and respected and honourable friend in Sendai, Yamashiro Shotaro. But, said the visitor, after a moment of speechless surprise, this is the most preposterous and possible of things. Why, this, this Yamashiro Shotaro, the father of the boy, is one of the most rabid Buddhists, and, besides, it is barbaric, an unheard of thing to think of marrying a girl of her age to anyone. The betrothal, said I, with a slight smile, was all arranged by the Yamashiro family. The boy is the father's salt of life. He cast eyes of desire upon the little one, and as he is the richest, noblest, and proudest youth in Sendai, we have accepted him. Oh, the town envies us, Excellency. Does her brother know about this? demanded Mr. Blount severely. Oh, yes, surely. But what does he say? 
He is English enough to perceive the utter impossibility of such a marriage. We have not heard from my son yet in the matter, said Oyoi, simply. Well, said the other, I can assure you that when he knows the truth, he will refuse to countenance it. But, illustrious master, how can he do so? He has not that right. He has not the right? Why, even your Japanese law makes him her rightful guardian. He is still a citizen of Japan. A brother in Japan is his sister's legal guardian. I know this to be a fact. Ah, but honoured sir, you do not know everything. Mr. Blount looked over his gold-rimmed spectacles sharply, endeavouring to pierce beneath the softness of her tone. Japanese women were all guile, was his inner comment. Well, now suppose you explain to me why your son is not his sister's guardian. Because, august minister, he is not the little one's actual brother. Mr. Blount started, so that he actually bounded from his seat. What do you mean? he jerked out to Ayoi. The little one is only my adopted child, said Ayoi, smiling serenely. The minister could scarcely believe he had heard aright. The Japanese woman continued to smile in a manner whose guileless, impenetrable innocence of expression had the effect of irritating him excessively. If Hyacinth is not your child, Madame Ayoi, who were her parents? The guard's forsaken little Hyacinth. She has no true parents. In his acute interest in the matter, the minister actually overlooked the slip of Ayoi when she alluded to the guards. What he said, with his eyes fixed very sternly upon her face, was, You are deceiving me, Madame Ayoi. You are hiding the truth from me. The slightest frown passed over Ayoi's face. Her colour deepened, then faded, leaving her inscrutable and impassive once more. The honourable one was augustly mistaken, for the humble one had nothing to hide. Since the affairs of her adopted child concerned only her foster parent, it was impossible to deceive the honourable minister. It was the visitor's turn to flush, and he did so angrily. Plainly, this Japanese woman was attempting to conceal, with the prevarication and guile of her people, some mystery concerning Hyacinth. If the girl was not the daughter of Ayoi by her English husband, who then was she? He certainly was not pure Japanese. Could it be that she was not even in part Japanese? The possibility staggered the missionary. Madam Ayoi, you are taking a most unusual attitude towards me today. Ayoi inclined her head in a motion that might have meant either assent or negation. Hitherto, continued the other, you have not hesitated to accept my advice. In matters concerning that religion, yes, interposed Ayoi softly which surely concerns all other matters connected with your welfare and that of Hyacinth. No one knows better than you do that the lives of our parishioners, our children, are our particular care and charge. I take the interest of a parent in our little band, so you would not withhold your confidence from a parent. What is it the Honourable Sir would know? The history of Hyacinth, who she is, how you came by her, her people's name, all information about her. There is nothing to confide said Ayoi slowly, as though she chose her words carefully before replying. Your Excellency knew the history of the child. It was under his advice that the humble one adopted the little one. Under Mr. Radcliffe's advice? Yes. Why did he know of Hyacinth? The Excellency deigned to make effort to discover the little one's parents. But you don't mean to tell me that you did not know her parents. Only the mother, and she lived but a day after the coming of the child. Did Mr. Radcliffe fail to find her father? Nervously, Ayoi clasped her hands together. She did not answer. Did he find her father? 
repeated Mr. Blount. My eye looked at him with a gleam of stubbornness in her glance. If the Excellency did not make confidant of you before he died, why should I do so also? It is your duty, madame. She shook her head slowly. Certainly it is your duty. It is perfectly plain that Hyacinth is a white, that she's not pure Japanese, at all events. Her eye moved uneasily. Then she looked up very earnestly at her interlocutor. The little one knows nothing of her parentage, save that she is an orphan confided to my care. It would distress her to be told that, that she is not Japanese. Then you admit that? No, I do not so admit. I but begged the Honourable One to put no such notion into her mind. So sorely would it distress her. I would think of keeping her in ignorance, exclaimed the other with some indignation. She ought to have been told the truth long ago. I shall certainly tell her. What can you tell her? I, I had risen, and was regarding the missionary with a strange expression. That I suspect she is not Japanese, not all Japanese. She would not believe you, said Ayoi thoughtfully. I will see her at once, if you will allow me, said Mr. Blount, also rising. He was somewhat startled at the attitude and the reply of Ayoi. She had placed herself before the door, as if to prevent the passage of anyone desiring to enter. My daughter will not see visitors today, she said. You will excuse her. She had clapped her hands loudly. In answer to her summons, Mume came shuffling into the room, hastily wiping her hands upon her sleeves and looking inquiringly towards her mistress. The illustrious one, said I, with intense sweetness, wishes to return home. Pray conduct him to the street. She bowed with profound grace to the missionary and stepped aside to permit him to pass. He hesitated a moment and then said slowly and succinctly, Madam Ayai, I have only this to say. I shall immediately take it upon myself to unravel this mystery. I will communicate with the nearest open port at once and find out whether my predecessor had correspondence with anyone on this subject. Good day, he bowed stiffly.